Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. My name is Damian Thompson. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we have been journeying through this Welcome to North Shore. Part of it has been sharing our and walking through our statement of faith. And since I have been here, to my knowledge, we've never done anything quite like this, but the leadership thought it, that it was good that we take some time and intentionally uh, walk through not just what we believe, but why we believe it. And so um, I'm going to go ahead because we're going to spend some time in the Word. We're going to have the Scripture up on the screen today. I'm going to do something a little different. But if you would like a Bible, uh, the ushers are available. You just go ahead and hold your hand up. They'll get one in your hands. But um, I just want to do a quick little review over what the last several weeks have been about. Um, we started out looking at the Trinity and our own Dr. Sanjay came and he just totally Sanjayed it. Okay, I just made up a word right there. And if, if you know Sanjay, you know what it is that I'm talking about. All right, right after that, uh, Pastor Pat came and he walked us through um, mankind and the fall and redemption. And it was just good, just meat and potato stuff right there. It was, he just walked us on through that. And then after that, Tyler walked us through sanctification and the church and spiritual gifts. And then last week, week, uh, Scott took some time to walk us through some specific ordinances that we observe here at North Shore and why we do them. And that was baptism and it was communion. And so today we're going to be sitting in a space that's really unique. We're going to be looking at a specific uh, thing that's important to our journey as followers of Jesus. And um, so I, I'm going to see how this is going to go today. It was like, wow, we got two things together here. Here we go. We're going to be looking at glorification and end times. All right. And we're going to start out by taking a look at our statement of faith. So if you brought your statement of faith with you, which I'm sure you did. No, I know you didn't, but that's all right. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. We're going to have it up on the screens to read together online campus. I love you. You guys just been loving all each other over, these, over each other this morning and it's just awesome. Hey, you can read with us. If you go to the app, if you scroll, go to the home screen, click on resources, you'll see the statement of faith there. If you go to the website, go to the top, click on I'm new, click on what we believe, statement of faith will be there. All right. So here we go. We're going to go over to glorification. End times, this is what it reads. We believe that at a time known only to the Father, Jesus Christ will return to the earth in his glorified body, an event for which we are called to be continually ready. He will return in fulfillment of prophecy to judge all people of all time and reign over all creation as King of kings and Lord of lords. Until that time, Death seals the eternal destiny of each person with believers immediately entering into the presence of God. For all mankind, there will be a physical resurrection and a judgment that will determine the eternal fate of each individual. For all believers, there will be a complete redemption of the body for the new heavens and the new earth. Satan, sin, and death will suffer their ultimate defeat. Hallelujah. Believers will be with God in the fullness of peace and joy as God intended in the Garden of Eden, no longer hindered in our worship by the limitations of our present situation, and will be rewarded for works done in this life. Unbelievers will be separated from God 
into the internal condemnation of hell, the new heavens and earth and hell are real places of eternal existence. All right, church, before we go any further, let's pray. Lord God, your word is true. Your word is constant. Your word is faithful. And your word is present for us today. As we sit with it and we sit with you, would you open our eyes to see, our hearts to receive. Use our ears this morning, Lord. Let us hear what you have for us. As we look at the truth of what your will for our life is, but also what the truth of our destiny is and what, what part we play in it. This is all for you this time, Lord. Come and do your business with us. In your name we pray, amen. So I thought it good for us to start by looking at what glorification means. That's not exactly what you would call a regular term in our vocabulary. In today's culture, we would define it as to honor with praise and admiration. Okay? I think we would look at those words and we would go, yeah, that's what I kind of think of glorification. But we will be looking at this from a biblical and theological perspective where the meaning is consistent in it's referring to the ultimate perfection of believers after death and judgment. The final step in the application of redemption. So what do you say? Let's just go ahead and let's just start right there. Let's just look and jump into the glorification of man. I mean, that does involve us and that does make it personal, all right? So here we go. Glorification of man. So for those of you who may not be believers in Jesus Christ as Lord, hopefully this will give you some insight into what's coming our way for those of us who are believers. And we want you to know there's plenty of room for you, all right? Okay, here we go. So how is this going to happen, this, this glorification thing? Well, we know that it's going to happen really quickly. It's going to happen very quickly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And by sleep, Paul here means we won't all be dead. Okay? But we shall all be changed in a twinkling of an eye at the trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Do you know what the fastest moving part on the human body is? It is, oh, somebody gave it away. Well, here, I'm going to say this part anyway because I want to sound smart. It is the obicularis oculi. That's the eye. Yeah, there you go. So the brother who said that, thank you so much. There we go. So now I don't know exactly how to personally describe what a twinkling of someone's eye is, you know. Now yesterday we had a wedding here and, and I'm standing here and here's the groom and I think when those doors open and he saw his bride, I want to say that his eye twinkled, but I don't know because I wasn't there. I wasn't close enough to see it. But I do know what in the blinking of an eye is. I tend to blink a lot. As a matter of fact, I just blinked right there. And I just blinked again. And I want you to think about this. Our, this, 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 this glorification is going to happen that fast. Oh, I just blinked again. Somebody just got glorified. <laughs> 
That's how it's going to happen. It's going to happen quickly. All right, so what is it going to look like? Well, we know that there's going to be transformation. And how do we know this? Because Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, our lowly body, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So church, if, if I'm reading this right, this means that that body that Jesus had, you know, I don't know if you remember this now, when he was raised from the dead, he hung out on earth for a little bit. And there were people who got to see him. Not everybody got to see him, but there were people that he revealed himself to. And in the revealing of himself, those who knew him recognized him. So some of us have wondered, so do, am I, is this going to still be the same or am I going to be like, I don't know, Denzel or something like that? And it's like, it's like no, I don't, I don't need that because all I want is whatever that model, whatever that upgrade was that Jesus got, that's what I want right there. And it looks like that's exactly what we're going to get. And there's one more thing to know about the glorification man, of man and is that there will be a redemption, a redemption of our bodies. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 21, he says, the creation itself will be set free. Now creation he's referring to is everything that God made. Sky, earth, land, sea, animals, birds, all of it. He says, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoptions and sons the redemption of of our bodies, and I can't wait. I'm gonna tell you, church, right now, I was sick as a dog this week. And I'm gonna tell you, when you're trying to write a sermon and your body says, what are you doing? Lay down. I'm like, no, I got stuff I gotta do. I gotta get sermon notes in. Sister Jacobs is gonna be coming after me if I don't get this stuff turned in. And it was like, my body was like, we don't care. And I just thought, oh, the day when I won't have to deal with this. So as I was writing this, I was literally feeling the fact that I can't wait. I am eager. Are you eager for your redeemed body? Mm, okay. So. I think that it's important for us to, to guess we got this first look at the glorification of man, that we understand that the glorification of Jesus was something very different than what was just described that we're going to get. That's not what it was for him. His path to glorification actually was the exact opposite of ours. Our glorification is described as being quick, and his was not. We received 
in a moment, transformed and redeemed bodies. But for him, that was not the case. In fact, one of the notable characteristics of Jesus's ministry, his time on earth with his, was his reference to the fact that it was not yet his time or it was not his hour yet. In the book of John, I'm just gonna share a few of these with you. You're not gonna see them on the screen. In the book of John, we see a few of these, these moments I wanna share with you. One is in John chapter two, verse three, Jesus is at a wedding and it says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, now I'm gonna pause right there. Can I just make a recommendation for those of you who still have mamas? Don't ever call your mama woman. All right, there we go. That's my, that's my personal service announcement. There we go. But Jesus said, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And then later on in the book of John, in chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. And then in the same verse, in the same chapter, in, uh, just a few verses later, starting with verse 28, it says, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you know. And I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they, and this is the crowd, including the, the Pharisees, they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him because, John writes, his hour had not yet come. And it appears that John, as a gospel writer, was the one who really took note of this. It seems like Jesus is on some kind of a divine schedule. But who knew that the moment of it being his time, of it being his hour, would happen the way it did? See, in, in John chapter 13, Jesus has washed his disciples' feet and he's dropped some news on them that he's going to be betrayed and they all want to know who's the one who's going to betray you. And Jesus says to them, it's the one that I give this piece of bread to, and he gives it to Judas. And he says to him, what you're going to do, go and do it now. Actually, it specifically says, go and do it quickly. And Jesus, excuse me, and Judas leaves immediately. And it is then, in that moment, that Jesus turns to the remaining 11 and he says these words, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify him in himself. Jesus says, now I am glorified. So Judas leaves and the glorification of Jesus begins. But there's no, there's no new body and nothing has changed. But it, it's like, he, what, what, when did the glorification start? There was, there was no twinkling. There was no, nothing had changed. But unfortunately, everything for Jesus had changed. Because all things prophesied on how the Messiah would be sacrificed are now in motion. And Jesus knows what every single one of them are that he must endure. 
Church, I thought it would be good that at this time right here, what we're just going to share together, that we would just take some time and share communion just as he was doing with his disciples. And he was trying to explain just, it seemed like just a lot of really crucial things in this moment. And some of them we're going to take a look at just a little later on. But whenever the ushers are ready, I'm going to invite them to come and and just begin passing out our elements. Um, If this is new for you, what we do is we have two cups that are stacked together. The juice is going to be on the top. The bread is on the bottom. And then we're going to share together in just a few moments. So I want to just share with you just a couple of examples of how prophecy was fulfilled in the death and glorification of Jesus. One of them is that Jesus is abandoned. In Psalm chapter 31, verse 11, David writes, because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. And in Mark chapter 14, starting with verse 47, it reads, but one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out as a, a, out as against as, a, 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 let me try that again. Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. We see that Jesus is lifted up. In the book of Numbers, chapter 21, it reads, So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a, and if a serpent, serpent bit anyone, he would look up at the bronze serpent and live. In John chapter 12, beginning with verse 31, Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And we see that Jesus cries out. Psalm chapter 31 verse 5 reads, into your hand I commit my spirit You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And Luke records in the 23rd chapter of his account. And he says, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. All of these things prophesied and every single one of them happened so that you and I as believers in Jesus will have transformed and redeemed bodies in the twinkling of an eye. Our glorification is the result of his death, his horrific death. So how could something so gruesome create such beauty? Because the father, it is because the father and son were completely unified 
in the atonement of man. Listen to the words of Jesus as he's in the garden in John chapter 17. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus, before his glorification began, he took bread and he broke it and he said, take, eat, this is my body and it has been given for you. Let's take the bread together today. And then he took the cup and after he blessed it, he said, whenever you drink this, know that this represents my blood shed for you so that you one day may be glorified as I am soon to be. So whenever we drink this, let's remember him. Let's take the cup together. Amen. Now, church, I want to spend the remainder of our time together just touching on this thing called end times. All right. For those of you who may be new to faith in Jesus and you are learning some things a little faster than you thought it would take, don't worry. This is not going to be a fire hydrant experience, I promise you. All right. The end times basically refers to all things biblical that point to that prophesy of or speak in revelation of the second coming of Jesus. And that includes everything that leads up to it, which is a lot. I'm not trying to give some hyperbole here. I'm not joking. There's over 150 chapters in the Bible that refer to end times. There's a lot, all right? And I want to acknowledge those within the body of Christ who have an affinity for reading, for learning, for researching, and for dialoguing on this subject matter. And should you find yourself in a conversation with such a brother or sister, you're going to hear some vocabulary such as tribulation, rapture, thousand-year reign. They, they pay close attention to things that are happening in our world with rulers that come to power, conflicts that happen in certain parts of the world, famines, floods, earthquakes. Why? Because these are all signs of things to come. And listen, Scripture speaks to this and so much more. But this morning, I want to take a few minutes to talk about the real end times. Okay, now I'm going to make this as simple as possible. I'm talking about when things end. Okay, this is not the approach to the end. I mean when things are done. Okay, cards are punched. It's over. All right. Okay, let's get into it, family. Here we go. What about when my time ends? In other words, when you're dead. All right. Any questions on that? Good, because you guys are all alive. Good, all right. I tell you, all right, we go. here we go. 
In Hebrews chapter 9, starting with verse 27, the writer of Hebrews says this, And just it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Any questions on that? All right, good. Let's see. This is going to simplest. This is going to be straight ahead here. This is the real end times now we're talking about here. No signs, no, mm -mm. this is us and end, okay? But I want to just keep reading just to make sure that you get some context on this. In verse 28, it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, but not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Now, so I read verse 28 because you need to know that when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to deal with sin because he already did. When did he do that? He did that on the cross through his death. And that sacrifice was perfect. It was total. It was complete. And it dealt with all sin for all time. Glory, hallelujah. So when he comes back, he's not coming back for sin conversations. He's coming back to find out who's ready, who's excited to see him, okay? Now, that sounds pretty cut and dry, and you, you know, but it's like, listen, in verse 27, he said, after death comes judgment. And you might go, really? I'm going to say yes. And you say, but Damien, I thought end times had beasts and thrones and angels and swords and trumpets. Well, yeah, that's there. And that sounds like a get your popcorn kind of time. But get your popcorn for who? See, for those of us who are eagerly awaiting Jesus, I'll be the first one to start passing out popcorn because I want to see all of this stuff go down. I want to see the seven-headed and the trumpets and the, and the beasts and the flaming swords, and I want to see it all. I want to see it all because I know when it's all said and done, Jesus is going to say, come on. And I'm going to say, yes, sir, let's roll. But can you imagine what this is going to be like for those who do not know Jesus? This could be terrifying because they have no idea what's coming next for them. Which then makes us think, so Damien, are, are you really talking about the end of all time? Well, let, let's, let's talk about the end of all time and what happens there. And I'm not going to give my words to this. I'm going to give the words of Jesus. And I'm not going to put this up on the screen because it's quite a few scriptures, but we're going to go to Matthew chapter 25. And starting with verse 31, this is going to be familiar for some of you. I just hope today it hits a little different. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. 
I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? Then when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay. That probably felt harsh. Sobering. It made it feel like I thought Jesus was all loving. But I want to encourage you. These are questions we get to ask, feelings we get to process. But the truth of the Word of God will never change. And the words of Jesus, he makes it as plain and simple to the people of this time as he's speaking to them about sheep and goats. Something tells me they got that quick, fast, and in a hurry. And I think even for us today, we get it. We just may not like how it feels because there are those that when Jesus comes, will be separated to his left. And we will watch, perhaps, it is my hope, this is selfish me, that the Lord may remove those of us who are righteous because of Jesus Christ, because of his blood covering us. He may separate us and just take us on and then deal with that, but we don't have that in scripture. And we may have to witness this happen. And the reason why I explain this to you is because I think something that could be huge for us today, especially for those of us that as I was reading this, you knew this, is that something would change in us and that thing would be perspective. Sometimes we believe that we have so much time that we can eventually, when I get around to it, when I feel comfortable with it, when I'm able to justify it for myself, when the checking account balances right, 
when I feel safe enough to, then I will get to what Jesus described here. You know, there's a, there's a scene in, the, uh, in one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. It's an interesting moment. The movie is called Captain America Civil War. And there's a gentleman who's the Secretary of State. Actually, no, he's the Secretary of Defense. And he comes to the Avengers. And he's talking to them about all the great things they've done to save the world, but he's showing them scenes of the tragedy of how much they have destroyed cities and people who lost their lives while they were saving the world. And he shares a personal story about how he was out on a golf course. And he says, you, you, you know what you get when you're out playing a round of golf and all of a sudden you have a heart attack and you find yourself in triple bypass surgery. He said, you know what you get? perspective. I don't know what the things that may be happening in your life where the Lord may be trying to get your attention to help shift your perspective from the comfortable and safe and reasonable and self-justifiable places that we create and we work hard to stay in. When Jesus has called us just like he called Peter. You want to come to me? Out here on the water. Step out of the boat and come to me. And Peter, with his eyes on Jesus, is the only other human being on the face of this earth to walk on water until he took his eyes off Jesus. And then Jesus kept being Jesus. And he came over and he snatched him out of the water. Jesus desires for you and I to live lives that allow us to know that we're ready. We say things like, Lord Jesus, come now. Not next week at 2 p.m. on Thursday. Come now. I'm ready. I'm ready. No, really, Lord, I'm ready. And the beautiful part about this is that Jesus said, listen, the only one who knows when the Lord is coming is not me, it's not any of the angels, it's my daddy. He's the only one who knows. Now, isn't that interesting that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they are all one. Jesus says, Father, you and me and I and you. And yet, Jesus has no problem with understanding that his daddy is his daddy. And he makes the call. Only he knows when he's coming. So church, my question as we look at our, our next steps. You ready? Maybe? Maybe? Sorta, of. I'm getting there. I want to invite our worship band to come on out. I'm going to invite you to stand. Church, 
In my lifetime, I have never seen people move faster physically than when they have found themselves on fire. If you find something on your person on fire, I've seen people move faster than they ever thought they could. Ooh, my pant leg is on fire. Ooh, my shirt is on fire. Ooh, my coat is on fire. And they go, what? And next thing you know, hips are moving, knees are dipping. They are lunging and trying to get away even though the fire's coming with them. They're trying to get away from it. That's not what God desires of us, to be running from the fire. What he desires of us, I think could be surmised in that first statement of our statement of faith. We believe at a time known only to the Father, Jesus Christ will return to the earth in his glorified body, an event we are called to be continually ready. And how are we continually ready? Jesus said, when I was sick, did you? When I was hungry, when I was naked, when I was in prison, did you? Maybe this makes it a little easier for us. After Jesus gave that morsel to Judas, Judas leaves. Hear this. I really want you to hear this. He turns to his disciples and he says, now is the son of man glorified. And after he says that, the very next words out of his mouth, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. How are we ready? We start loving in the way Jesus has loved. We start walking with the Jesus who gave his life for us and we make him the foundation under our feet. And we stand on him because he and he alone is worthy. Would you pray with me?